Welcome to the Glee Man's Apprentice, a Wheel of Time podcast. I am your Glee Man, Twish Avery. And I am his apprentice, Mandy Cat. Cat has already read the first four books of the series, there are always potential spoilers up through the Shadow Rising. And after that, I'll be reading the rest of the books for the very first time with my Glee Man, Twitch. Welcome back to another episode of The Glee Man's Apprentice. How are you doing today, Mandy Cat? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. Excellent. I got my second shot on Friday. All right. So now both you and I are totally vaxxed. We are vaxxed. Vaxxed. That's official. Hashtag vaxxed. I wanna get vaxxed. Not quite sure what song that's from, but... Um, but yeah, we've got... A couple of big chapters. We're doing chapters 49 to 52 today. And I just want to do a really quick recap because we're pretty much going straight from one chapter to the next from um, last week. So they were um, with Mother Gwenna, the girls, right? Nynaeve, Elaine, and Egwene. Yep. And... Um, they kind of, they earned her trust and told her what they're looking for. And she went to find a thief catcher for them of the name Julian Sandar. And after she left, Egwene was being a total brat again to Nynaeve. Yep. And Elaine smacked her. Right in the face. And that is pretty much how we ended the chapter. And we go right back in. Chapter 49 is Storm in Tear. We are still at Mother Gwenna's house and cat notes. All right, yeah, this was a really, really long chapter. And I did want to note, I often find the girl chapters pretty boring. And this is coming after how many girl chapters. So this one does get a bit more interesting. But to be fair, it will switch perspectives towards the end. So Mother... Uh, Gwenna comes back with a thief taker, thief capture, capture, catcher, Julian Sander, who's a middle-aged man. He tells them to hire him before the high lords do, kind of making himself seem like, yeah, I'm pretty important. And Mother Gwenna even laughs at him like, what are you talking about? But he shares this interesting tidbit. 
He's been seeing people on roofs at night, even though he's yet to hear of anything reported stolen. He's expecting he'll get work pretty soon with these yeah. uh, people hiding. So he's basically like, I can do this, but it has to be really fast. And yep. Mother Gwen is like, oh, are you trying to drive up your yep. prices, Julian? And then Mother Gwenna does say, you know what, he's more honest than most men. And Julian does say, you know, I'll, I'm going to help you find these thieves, and here's my price. And his price is a tenth of their treasure or a silver mark per head. So Nynaeve just takes out 13 silver marks of the lightest weight possible um, and says, go find the 13 women. And she gives every description no names because he doesn't need names. And they no. all have fake names yeah. anyway. So smart. She reminds Julian to take caution. These women have already murdered 10 people and likely more. They would kill Mother Gwenna and all three of us if you tell them where we're at. So a couple little things that I would like to highlight. Um, little, you know, minor details of, you know, possible character building. Um, first of all, Mother Gwenna keeps making uh, statements about how he's more trustworthy than... Any other man she knows, although if he tells you he loves you, <laughs> you know, don't believe him. And she just me- keeps making little quips like that about how, oh, he's he's a practical guy, but he is a little bit of a sucker for a, for a full mouth and pretty eyes or, or nice ankle or something like that. Um, but then he also is talking about how, here are my prices. I would recommend you go with the, you know... The property one, a tenth of the property, because what you have is very, it, it, it doesn't sound like it's valuable, so that would probably be your cheapest option. And when Nynaeve gives him the 13 coins, he's like, you don't, you don't have to bribe me. I'm going to do the job. And Nynaeve says, I pay for what I expect. So I'm giving you extra because I, or I'm giving you, you know, the bigger amount because I expect you to do a good job. And that's when he drops on... <clears throat> That there there have been hoodlums, you know, on the roof. Yeah, rooftops. and I think there is also, I think they alluded the treasure is more meaningful to the women, not as value for other people. Exactly. I think that was alluded to. Um, and I will say, second read-through was when I realized he was middle-aged. First read-through, and this indicates a lot, because right, I've read this book in the next. I thought he was like Egwene's age. Like his, his yeah. kind of pompousness, it, it's... And and you're right, it's how Mother Gwenna was joking with him struck me as like, you know, late teens, early 20s. So I, I don't know why. I do know why, but I just thought I'd put it out there. Yeah. Because it's... I kind of get the feeling that he has either scorned Mother Gwenna or like... Had one like, of his daughters. Or her one daughter. of her daughters or like friends in the neighborhood. Right? Because they live in the poorer side, so, okay. you know. So, I mean... Yeah, she's got some bitter feelings towards him for some reason. Well, and I thought it was just light-hearted teasing. But how you described it, I could see maybe he messed with one of her daughters once. Yeah. But I I just just wrap it up to imagery. It's really neither here nor there. So Julian jokes... He likes his girls, apparently. His women. Julian jokes he will take the same care of these 13 women who've supposedly murdered 10 other people as if they were Aes Sedai of the Black Aja. What? Great joke, not... That surprised the women. <laughs> so basically what uh, what Nynaeve says is, if they discover you are asking after them, you will die. If they take you, they will make you tell where we are and Mother Gwenna will probably die with us. Believe it. Or I'll take back the silver and find another with more brains. Sandor says, when I was young, 
A cut purse put a knife in my ribs because I thought a pretty, wo- a pretty young girl wouldn't be as quick to stab as a man. I do not make that mistake anymore. I will behave as if these women are always to die and black Aja. And Egwene, like, almost chokes, be- you know, not because she's scared, but because she's like, oh my God, does he know that they're actually black Aja? Ah! Um, and he takes the money and he leaves and Elaine says, I hope he's not overconfident. And then Nynaeve is just saying, he does look understand at the rain. dangerous, right? There must be a storm coming and we know she's not referring to a rainstorm. No. I mean, the chapter oh. is titled A Storm and Tear. Elaine is unable to distract herself with readings because she's so worried about Black Aja and at bedtime... Egwene says, I'm going to Lalanriad, and asks the women, wake me after one hour. Egwene has learned some control and rules of the dream world. She pictures the heart of the stone and is brought there. Immediately, she sees 13 women sitting and staring at floating Kalendor, and then the blonde woman with braids put her head, puts her head up and smiles directly at Egwene. It's Leandrin WTF. Yep. Boom, Egwene awakens without knowing how she even left Teleron Riyadh, so she learned something new. But she's terrified because the Black Aja are waiting, and no, the women are in terror. Storm begins outside. Boom. There it is. Outside, the storm broke over the city. All right, so what do you think? A couple questions real fast. What do you think the 13 Black Aja fuckwads were doing in Teleron Riyadh? Tell Aran Riyadh, do you think that they've been able to like gain some control there? I haven't thought critically about that question, Twitch. But I would say um, yes, and maybe that's the meeting place across the worlds, right? With the Forsaken and or the supposed Dark One who's in all the worlds. Going back to uh, Varen's perspective that Teleron Riyadh intersects everything. Yep. And you and I have talked about random Forsaken walking Teleron Riyadh when yeah. Perrin in Wolfie Dreams has seen them, and and what I believe Egwene has seen them as well. So, but so do you think that all thirteen of these women are like dreamers that hid it from the tower because the tower hasn't seen dreamers in so long? No, okay. I wouldn't say that, but I would say maybe a dreamer can manipulate so they can get in there, or a Forsaken like. Well, uh, who saw, <coughs> parents saw a ton of people who, I'm asleep in wherever came yeah. in. So other, like the Forsaken can just can bring them on over during Dream World. Okay. And it, it was nighttime. There was also, uh, they stole a shit ton of Terangriel mm. from the tower. That's a most problem. Most of which were studied by Corianna Nadale. Who was a dreamer. Uh, who was the well, a quotes, dreamer. air quotes dreamer. According to Varen, she wasn't. She barely deserved the name. Um, I miss Varen right now. She'd have an answer for you. Twitch. She probably would. She probably would. I miss Varen all the time. She'd be a great podcast guest. We need someone to act as Varen for us. I'll work on it. Um, we we've You'll got work. a guest coming up. Uh, <laughs> actually, right after our next guest episode, um, for the for the first two chapters of. The Shadow Rising, and I would definitely describe this individual as a very Varen-esque type right. podcaster. Good. Her po- you've never listened to it, but her podcast is very in-depth, and she's, she, she's, there's a reason why I invited her on. She's Beautiful. awesome. But anyways, okay, so I just wanted you to think about that. Like, what the fuck? Like, how are they in Telenor Riyadh? What are they doing there? It looks like they're doing some sort of weird seance 
ceremony around yes. Calendor, right? And but then, but then Leandrin like knows that Egwene's there, and she looks right at her and smiles wickedly. Oh yeah, it was a purposeful. <clears throat> we've been waiting for you. Yeah, and it was very purposeful. And I do believe it's all thirteen of them. So I don't know if it's a Forsaken pulling threads or a Trongrail they stole. Okay. Okay. This is where we get to switch to the exciting world of Matt and Tom. The exciting world of Matt and Tom. We I love need it. theme music. So, oh, it's kind of like Huckleberry Finn and Tom Sawyer, but Tom <laughs> is not a child. Okay, they're playing stones on the ship, the Swift, nowhere near as fast as the name implies. And apparently Tom really is good at playing stones. Um, also, yeah. symbolic of his ability to play the game of houses, correct? Because he can foresee, like, like Matt's all like, yeah, three moves, I'm going to do this to Tom. Then he realizes, oh, but oh, in two moves, Tom is going to do have me, to me. Yeah, he's going to have me in three moves. And he asks, he says, do you ever lose a game? Have you ever lost a game? And Tom uh, knuckled his mustaches. <clears throat> Love it. All right. Not in a long while. Morghese used to beat me about half the time. It is said good commanders of soldiers and good players of the great game are good at stones as well. She is the one, and I have no doubt she could command a battle too. So, yeah. So Ooh, I hope she does command a battle. That'd be pretty cool, huh? Because we heard about that happening. Elaine described it happening in the past. Yep. Captain Dern announces they are docked in Terre. They get outside, it's rainy and muddy, and Matt determines we must find the women and or Komar immediately. We have to save their lives, and Tom is at least convincing them, no, nah, we should find the inn. So through the rain, through the storm, um, they go to the White Crescent, and meet, we meet the rotund innkeeper Kavan Lopar. Yep. But Matt is persistent. They're going to go look at other inns, because clearly won't the women be staying at inns? And, and Tom is like, I will join because people are going to talk to a glee man over you. So good yep. reasoning, Tom. I like it. They go to inn after inn with no luck. And it's remember, it's rainy. It's dark. It's it's probably a cold rain, too. Or no, Tara's hot, isn't it? Yeah, it's but it's probably, I mean... I just, I dislike cold rain. The weather's been bad up here, guys. Yeah, we had that one day about three weeks ago where we were able Easter. to record outside and... So Matt is really tired. He's dragging, and Tom's like, you've walked by three inns, buddy. It's time for bed. And Matt's like, okay, one more, and then we'll go. And literally, he's standing next to an inn he hadn't even noticed. This is named the Golden Cup. Yep. And like a dice cup, of course. So this is fitting. And they walk in. And lo and behold, who do they see, Twitch? Right, like the first person that he the sees. The first burly man busting out of his green silk shirt. With the gray stripe in his beard. And he probably has a little bit of chest hair bursting it, out. Yeah, yeah. This is He's very much like a Gaston type character, right? But it's Komar! Damn it. This is a fascinating scene. This so is so fast. You can fill in the deets, but first, Matt follows his dad's advice to think through the situation instead of immediately confronting Komar. Yep. Good job, Matt. Uh, Matt learns from the innkeeper that Komar has been gambling and winning coin left and right from these really poor town folk. Everyone's really kind of upset, but tentative because they assume this man's a rich merchant. You can't piss off rich merchants. So we get a little bit of a, of a context dump here um, as far as like the situation in Tyr, right? Yep. Um, Not good. The, 
rich folk don't commune with the with the poor folk. That's that's not a thing. And uh, sometimes rich outlanders like rich merchants or lords might go to the poorer areas and dice for a little bit. But this guy's been doing this for a while, and it's not cool that somebody who's already made a lot of money, like a, according to like his clothes and the fact that he has a sword and everything like that, is taking advantage of all these poor folk and. And the innkeeper is very clear, like, he it's, should go gamble where the rich are. Like, he's really upset, but at the same time, what do we do? We're helpless. He's a rich merchant. Well, and Matt's like, why don't you call the the guards, you know, the defenders of the stone, or whatever you have is like a, a police force in this town. And they're like, are you kidding me? The, the guards, the defenders of the stone will always take a rich person's word over a poor person's. Always. Absolutely. And so... I just wanted to highlight, it sounds like Tyr is a very classist system. Yes. Um, with uh, the elitist group, like, just, like, holding their nose towards the poor people, but then they, like, probably keep raising up taxes so that the poor people can never get out from being poor people. Are you, you calling know? this a systemic issue? It sounds like a pretty okay. bad systemic issue, yeah. So, and the innkeeper, again, is very clear. This hasn't been fun. This isn't good. He keeps winning. Like, it's a ridiculous amount of winning. At this point, Tom just kind of mutters, well, that's because he's using weighted dice. And they're like, what are you talking about? And he literally, in the moment, he's demonstrates like, but both, how it's done. He's, uh, but the innkeeper's like, they're both using the same dice. There's no way. And Matt And Tom's like, okay, Matt, make a mark. Make a very, very, very small mark, but one that you know is yours on these five dice. And then um, pass him over to me. And he passed him over to him. And he put him in. Tom puts him in the cup. Rolls him out. He's like, okay, now look for your mark. And he can't find it. They're not like, there. It's a child's trick. It's an easy sleight of hand. Anybody can learn it. I was doing this when I was four. Tom is scooping up the one dice. The ones he wants yeah, to keep, right? Yeah, He's scooping it's, up in a hand. It's a sleight of hand it's, trick. It's the coin behind the ear trick. Basically, it's it's like he's making those five. He's switching them out. It's sleight of hand. It's it's quick motion. He's distracting you in one way, flourishing. You know what I mean? Like right. like and, I, I, if any any aspiring magician knows how to do this trick. Did you say musician? Magician. Oh, okay. Um, that being I said, I might have said musician, but I meant magician. It's uh, kind of similar. My first comment was, "Komar, you pompous ass. Yeah, come on, you are taking." Like, advantage of these people. Second, you pointed out in the previous episode, hey, nudge, nudge, why was Comer let go from the guard? And it was gambling issues, right? Yeah. Cheating or something. So here it is. He's addicted to winning. So Matt understands. Well, I mean, not only, he, he cheats in order to win. So he's not even like, he's not even gambling. He's just a dick. He's just a horrible individual. And I hope that he dies. Let's find out. <laughs> Read and find out, Tim. Raffo. Did you just raffle me? Okay. Matt understands this very quickly as he watches Tom. He's like, yeah, I'm not going to play dice with you, Tom. And I'm like, ha that's really funny, Matt. Good call. <laughs> Matt pushes his luck and decides to gamble with Komar. Like, just goes right on. He's like, yeah, let's see if luck is with me. He lays down a gold Andorran coin well, yeah. in order to be taken seriously. Yeah, uh, Komar's like, go <laughs> dice with somebody else for the few coppers that you have, farm boy. Go find a sheep, farm boy. Yeah. And then here's this... 
the heavyweight and Doran coin, right? That is the weight of gold. Yep, yep. So Cormorant's like, oh, that's cool. So he shakes his dice, gets his usual high score, and Matt immediately takes the same weighted dice before Comar can before change it. Before he can it. grab him, yep. Because this is going to prove if Matt rolls the same thing, Rest, right? Yep. Uh, so anyway... He's going to expose him. Except, while Matt is rolling, he feels something, quote-unquote, shift, right? It's like a mental feeling. Yep. The room around him like tugging at the dice with threads, and then he rolls better than Komar. Yep. It, the dice finally come to rest, and he's got the winning toss, and Komar looks shot, and... Fight scene, right? <clears throat> Matt, well, Matt says, you lose. I think your luck is about used up, Komar. If you've harmed those girls, it's all gone. I have not even found. Komar began, still staring at the dice, then jerked his head up. His face had gone white. How do you know my name? Go back to Camelin, Komar. Tell Gabriel you could not find them. Tell him they are dead. Tell him anything. But leave Tear tonight. If I see you again, I will kill you. And that's when Komar jumps up. And Matt shoves the table at him. Komar shoves it back at Matt because Matt forgot how big Komar was. And, like... It's a really incredible scene. It's really because quick. Because it was really hard for me to understand what happened. It is very quick. So, so uh, Komar leaps at Matt. Matt, like, falls backward and uses both their weights to, like, lunge Komar, basically, With like, his flip legs. Him. He does yeah. an airplane move, Yeah, right? basically, like, legs. yeah, and basically flips Komar around, and Komar lays on the next table over with his back broken. Except it's really not written out. Like, Matt has to kind of fumble. I wonder if he broke his back. Like, someone in a previous, uh, a different podcast, probably The Wheel Weaves or something. Yeah. Um probably commented on this but robert jordan is not explicit in how gory everything is this is one of those scenes that could have been written as top-notch gory but i had to reread it to really understand what just happened because komar possibly has a broken back and let me finish i guess he does call matt a fool and says others are hunting the girls as well and then he stops breathing like he's dead and i was like wait a minute so i had to reread to understand he really did break his back but all we knew is he fell on his back on a table, and Matt thought maybe he has a broken back. Yep. Right? And, That's all we got. Yep. And Matt says, I told you you should have gone, Komar. Your <laughs> luck is all used up. And Komar barely breathed. Fool, do you think I was the only one hunting them? They won't live till... <sighs> and dies. So, but it's really quick. That whole thing was so quick. I, didn't, I think I read so it three fast. times. Yeah, it's so fast. And that's the thing about Robert Jordan's writing. He will spend pages on the landscape. He will spend pages on a tapestry. I know, a he will tapestry. spend pages on like the flickering lanterns on the walls. And then he goes through these fight scenes really quickly. He goes through these uh, uh, like. Um, detailing somebody's appearance he glosses over so he leaves it up to the imagination um to the readers you know view in their own mind which i love and then romantic scenes like he glosses the fuck over those three things damn it i need more land romance (laughs) but this is probably how fights happen i feel like everyone says in the heat of the moment it's just immediate so he does capture it well and then amanda has to like reread but it's cool so so um, I'm not quite sure how much you 
Uh, do you want me to finish this little bit? The innkeeper has to rush out and be like, get out before the defenders come, but don't worry. I'll say it's this tall man with red hair and gray eyes. Just someone I dreamed about last night. No, no big one, deal. No one real. Then Amanda, Mandy Cat is thinking, oh, yikes. You're Everyone. dreaming around. Everyone's dreaming around. And it's like, and, and I also feel like, is this a Televan Riyadh dream? Or is this a Taviran influence dream? Like, what's going on? Yep. Well, well, remember, uh, at one point when they were searching before they came to the Golden Cup, Matt saw a tall person with a, a, like, it looked like they had red hair, but they were, like, slooping down, so it made him look, and he was like, even with that, no, maybe that was later, but but he did see somebody, and he was like, there's no way, there's no way, Rand, but Matt That's, saw this, no, oh, ma- no, okay. Matt saw somebody, and it was like, catch it. there's no way. Rand would be in tear. Rand's, Rand's in, uh... Off 3,000 miles away being the bloody dragon reborn, you know? And so oh, he doesn't man. know that he's there. But this is great. We're not even done yet. This is how great the Matt and Tom adventures are. After this whole end scene with Komar dying, Matt recognizes what's going on with his luck. It's, so, so they go out, to the, uh, go out to the street, and Matt's just kind of like in a stupor. And Matt and Tom says, are you asleep, boy? You did not look asleep back there. Come on. The defenders will arrest any outlander within two streets, no matter what description the innkeeper gives. And Matt's just like, it's the luck. I figured it out. The dice, my luck works best when things are random, like dice. Not much good for cards, no good as stones, too much pattern. It has to be random. Even finding Komar, I'd stopped visiting every inn. I walked into that one by chance, Tom. If I am going to find Egwene and the others in time, I have to look without any pattern. That is awesome. Yep. That is not something I could have foreseen. I, I don't think I would have ever guessed it. I love it, and it still fits. It's so funny because I do I, – I like to play card games and such, but I do feel like dice are random. Yeah. Like, you can't yep. – well, I'm sorry, professional people, but a lay person like me, I really can't control the dice. If I'm playing Yahtzee, yes, Yahtzee, as Grandma Erickson called it, Yahtzee, but <laughs> I can't control if I get a Yahtzee or not. Right. I don't know. Um. Anyway, end scene, Matt and Tom do stay in their inn, and in the next few days they continue looking for the women with no luck, and it's noted that Tom has a cough which keeps worsening, end scene. End chapter, Which, right? important details that we won't come back to till the end of today's episode, which I'm glad we will come back to. But, yeah. Um, but first read through... Man! Matt! That's Matt, so... so this Matt's... is Matt's getting cool. Okay, cool. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I, uh, um, I really like like Matt's. Matt's one of my favorite main characters in the in the entire series, and so I really like that. Now we're finally in his head. This is where I started really liking him. So I like that you're starting to like him too. Oh, for sure. Um, I think yeah. it also helps to understand the luck. Now that being said, do I know if it is it Taviran luck? Maybe because remember I had that running theory about the Tarangrail dice if he got tainted yeah. with them, and then there is the point right. It, a lot of this has happened since the Mordeth incident, correct? Didn't he his luck since ex- the, since he got separated from the dagger? That's when yeah. that's he's always been an unusually lucky person, but his luck really started like kind of going crazy 
after he found the dagger in Shadar Logos, but more more than anything after he got separated from the dagger and woke up in Tarvalon. That's when he really started noticing that his luck was a significant thing. Right, so it'd be easy now for me, because I've been under the theory, too, of what, what's... I think those Tarangrel dice are important, but I also know what Matt's Taviran, so this could easily just chunk down to... Okay, so, so let's talk about Taviran for just a second. Um... Matt Ramparin. Well, Taverin, what they do is, uh, I'm pretty sure we've gotten this description at least a couple times so far in the books. Um, everybody is woven into the pattern. And it's just kind of like your, your thread just continues the way you're, you know, however your life takes you. Taverin are woven in and they start pulling the threads of the wheel towards them. So even threads that normally you would never, like people you would never run into, people or threads of the pattern, start getting drawn to you. So that's what Taverin is. Okay. Rand has special powers because he is a channeler. Oh, yeah. Perrin has special channelers with the whole wolf, wolf brother thing. Right? Well, the ability to, like, wolf communicate dreams. with wolves. And then, yes, getting into the wolf dreams. Up to this point, Matt hasn't really had a superpower. So what if his superpower... Is dumb luck. Is luck. Damn it, Matt. I know, right? It's not as cool. But it's great. It is great. Can you imagine living your life... Where it's literally, you have to be random for the best things to work out. Yep. It's yep. great. Yep. What a type B personality. I love it. I'm jealous. I don't, know. Don't plan your life. Just let luck happen. Everybody would love to have mass superpower. I Look think. to your left. <laughs> That's your future. Okay, I'm going to go be a gardener. Let's a do plant. it. All right. Um, yeah, is there anything else you want to touch on in that chapter? No, fascinating. I mean, we could go back to the women, but I, we're going to we're, no. we're gonna get back to yeah. them, so I'm not too worried about it. We don't need to talk about them. Thank you. The uh, weather right now, we'll talk about them later in this episode. Which, I mean, I, I actually, I, I enjoy the back half of the women's stories a lot more than like the first half in this book. Like when they Truth. were going, when they were in the tower, that's. It's important story building and world building and character development and everything, but it's it's a little bit harder to get through. Truth. Whereas now we're getting into like things are happening, like with uh, you know meeting the maidens and and dealing with uh, you know, yes. all that. So yeah, so it's it, they're they're getting fun. But yeah, anyways, going on to chapter fifty. The hammer. The hammer. Cat notes. Parents' perspective, his crew conveniently arrives to Terror by ship. More of the same observations of Terror that I didn't detail because thank you, RJ. Perrin goes about smelling fish, but he doesn't sense wolves and kind of sort of wishes he could sense them. It, 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 it's, it's funny because he's like, he's gotten used to them in the back of his head, right? And so now that they're not there, he's almost kind of... Almost missing this, them. It's almost an assault. It's like, it's like yep. oh, this is weird not having them there. I'm glad they're not there, right? He keeps reminding himself, oh, thank God they're not there. But at the same time, he keeps like searching for them. He's like, where are they? Where are my, where are my cuddly little buddies? Um, so Marine continues to hide her identity under her blue linen cloak, despite the heat, which Tara is noted to be really hot. And 
I've looked at the map. Don't worry, Twitch. It's south. So it's hot. Yeah. It, Ew, it's, it's probably muggy. Muggy's my least favorite. It's like, yeah, it's like, uh, uh, New Orleans? Southeast Texas, Corpus Christi type area, New or Orleans. New Orleans, yeah. or, you know, and Bayou I love, type areas. I you love know. New Orleans, New Orleans, but I. From as a Minnesotan, we only have a few months of humidity, but down there it's oppressive heat plus humidity. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I you're it's drowning. Different. It's yeah. I'm drowning when I walk yep. there. Okay. Yep. But I love New Orleans. I I really like to get back there one day. So Maureen's hiding her identity. Lan has tucked away a special water cloak as well, so they are respecting hey, I said I aren't welcome here. Let's let's yes. keep it under you know, undercover guys. Um, Zareen is full of questions. Hey, what's so special about Tear? Um, I could have made plenty of songs about the Grey Men and Darkhound adventures of Ilian. And Loyal is a little bit Eeyore-ish, wishing her, ooh, don't be so eager. <laughs> and then Perrin notices Zareen calls Loyal by his name, Loyal. And Loyal has switched to calling her Fail. Yeah. I think that's, and, she's, and she's, 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 what she's doing is, it's not necessarily power and control. It's more just, he's respecting me, I'll respect him. Yeah. But Perrin doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> Call her, her name, Zareen. Okay. So, loyal comments. Well, Perrin doesn't want to have to deal with, uh, um, Min's falcon. Right? He yeah. doesn't, he doesn't like that this girl is apparently... Supposedly going to be a large part in his life. He's 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 unsettled by anything supernatural, right? That's why he doesn't like the connection that he has with the wolves. He's, Correct. Perrin is very much like the the down to earth one of the group. He's you know he's the thinker of the group, um, and yeah. So he he just he he doesn't like anything that's supernatural. And I'd be lying. I'd probably be similar. I tend to, uh, oddly, I'll refer to people sometimes by their full name when they go by a nickname, and I don't know why, other than it might, I don't know. And, and I mean oddball nicknames, and that's judgmental of me. But, for instance, I had, when I was in AmeriCorps, someone was named Vaya, and I preferred to call her Lauren, which is her given name. Because um, Vaya, she just took from the Spanish word go. But <laughs> I guess she didn't strike me as a, Go person? I don't oh, know. Okay. But she gets so mad at me. And like, and we had a very conflicted relationship because of it. And I, I don't know if it was the power and control thing either, but I'd naturally keep referring to her as Lauren, which, by the way, I think Lauren is a beautiful name. Yeah. So just to throw that out there, too. Anyway. Yeah, no, cool. Loyal comments on the people of the town looking defeated. That, yep. Yep. Perrin. That's kind of the same thing as an alien, right? Remember the, the alieners? Right? We know that there's a forsaken an alien. Yep. So Perrin quits laughing at their clothes and baggy britches and notes their faces and this sort of hopelessness. Yep. Again. Like they just look defeated. And yes, I'm thinking, oh, great. It's another forsaken out and about. Great, grand, wonderful. I That was my first. Thought. Well, we do know there's a new High Lord and well, and I'm area. not that critical of a reader, but yes, okay. I will put it together soon. Okay. <laughs> they continue walking into the city and more observations of buildings and clothing. Uh, clothing changes a bit in the richer part of the city. Yep. They also get a little <clears throat> bit of pavement, so it's not so muddy. Land leads them to an inn called the Star, which is next to a blacksmith. 
And Perrin thinks the noise is preventing any of the noble people from staying there. So this was probably purposeful. Although Zareen complains and Perrin just reminds her, don't ask questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well. Good one. Um, well, she's just bitching about how he he took her for um, Moraine's handmaiden and. Oh, when they enter the inn, yeah. the innkeeper Jura Herrick greets them, and he's also really deflated and disinterested, and when they're given rooms, there is a bunch of assumptions, and Perrin's grateful to just be assumed to he's, be basically he's a He's totally servant. fine with being a servant. He's, yeah. He, he, he's, like, let, he doesn't want people noticing his eyes. He's very self-conscious about his golden eyes. Yes. He's learned his lesson to uh, try to stay under. Yeah. But Zareen is not so happy. She's like, he thinks I'm a handmaiden to the to lady. And I don't, Moraine didn't give her a real name, did she? No. No, I don't think so. But, um, yeah, she's like, I will not stand for being a, your handmaiden, Ace die. And Lance is like, shut the fuck up, dude. If you use that name where people can hear, you will regret it. And so will we. So just, we're in tier where Ace die are not welcome. Will you just shut the fuck up? Please. So no please. There was no please. It was shut the fuck up. Perrin asks how to set about finding Rand, and this is where Moraine, Moraine more or less dismisses his thoughts about Rand with a warning. Tear is dangerous. The pattern can be torn and tear. And that's where I had a question. Like, what does that mean? That's a big deal. I think that's what I was concerned about. Like... That's a big deal. That's like saying uh, you're at the gates of hell. If you say the wrong words, demons are coming out. Yeah. I, I guess yeah. that's my comparison to modern day, I don't know, the supernatural TV. I okay. don't know. But just moving forward, Moraine sends land to scout. And she just tells the others, stay close to the end. So remember, like, where is Mordeth located? Shadar Logoth? Yes. Mordeth was in Shadar Logoth. I'm reminded of the, like... Was she not explicit with yeah. females there? And now she's like, you stay close. But, uh, oh, okay. So Zareen has more questions and complaints. Perrin calmly responds, you're woven into our pattern now. <laughs> and Zareen's like, you sound like Moraine. Well, and <laughs> so she's like, this Rand, he is the one you called the... Uh, and we are in Tyr, where the heart of the stone holds... Uh, uh, and the prophecies say, uh, like, burn me. Tavern, is this a story I want to be in? It's not a story, Zareen. You chose to tangle your thread with ours. It's too late to untangle it now. And he's actually kind of getting a little bit of a satisfaction in seeing her misery. It's kind of like... Oh, he did it well. It was well played. Yeah. Well played, Perrin. Yeah, but it was, it was, he's kind of... And I don't know. I, I'm 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 conflicted about Perrin right now. I oh, I like him, but I okay, cool. I, I have reasons. Also, a comment: Women are so intimidated by Moraine. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Strong women. Yeah. Cannot deal with how much stronger Moraine is, and and I don't think Moraine has been necessarily evil to Fael slash Zareen. She let her no. come. She could have. Yeah. She could have straight up said no. Land, chop her head off. She's been maybe kind of like a strict. You know, school mistress, you know, type thing, but nothing overly like she hasn't overly been a dick to her or anything like that. Yeah, it's not as extreme as Egwene and Nynaeve, but it is a similar power struggle, which to me, the great part is Moraine has no struggle in this. She has zero. She knows she's powerful, and Zareen is just someone pulled in by a Taviran blacksmith. 
So I'm sure you've encountered this in your line of work. Um, uh, and I've observed throughout my life. And it's not just, it's not a gender thing. It's not just women. I have noticed people, and, and this is nothing new. Everybody's going to know this. People don't like other people that remind them of Their themselves. Oh, themselves. Yeah. Like, oh, that is true. Like, I actually have a perfect example. One of my best friends in the world had this girlfriend for like eight years and she was she was a strong woman, very opinionated. She would bull rush you if you disagreed with her. You know what I mean? And uh, then, and, and it was a very toxic relationship. And I, I loved her to death, but I didn't love them together. It was, it was a very toxic relationship. Then they broke up. He actually moved in with us for a while and shortly thereafter started dating another girl who was the exact same girl. Oh. Very opinionated, very, like, would bull rush you. And I liked her a lot, too. But they were the exact same girl. And then I found out that they actually knew each other because they went to the same high school. And they hated each other. And I was like, of course you hated each other. You are the exact same person. Like, somebody who knew them at separate times without even realizing that they knew each other... I saw that they were they were so similar, right? I mean, of course, no one's the exact same person, but they were so similar, and I think that's I think that's what happens. Like, people see themselves in other people, and they just they don't know how to deal with themselves. They only know how to, you know yeah, what I mean? Does I that make sense? I wrap it down to we don't like to see our own flaws. Exactly. Exactly. Out. And yes, I mean, mine was Girl Scouts growing up. Uh, Alexis Day. She was from the town next door. (laughs) And I think we were just alike. Like, so she wasn't in my troop, but whenever I saw her, I felt intimidated for no good reason. Yeah. She She was a very nice person. Yep. But whatever it was, uh, and I won't go into details actually, because maybe she'll listen. You never know. Who knows? But anyway, I I know it was, we were too similar. Give us a like on Apple Podcasts. I know. Except that I just said I didn't (laughs) like you when we were girls, guys. But you grow, right? And yeah, we'd be buds now. We'd go to karaoke now if the world was open. Sweet. So, ongoing. I love this scene. I do. Perrin feels called next door to the sound of the hammer on anvil at the blacksmith, which is beautiful. He misses home. Just, just be honest. He randomly starts pumping the bellows for the blacksmith. I think this is lovely. And all the blacksmith says to him is, Apprentice? And Perrin answers, yes. Perrin assists in the creation of what he realizes is a barrel scrape. I have no idea what that would look like. I'm sure it's described. Um, The blacksmith then (laughs) gives him a chunk of metal after that's complete. And all the blacksmith says is, see what you can do with that. And Perrin does. He, 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 uh, the blacksmith is just kind of, Washing him from the corner of his eyes, even when he just goes over and picks an apron, you know, and picks a hammer off the wall. And, and, and FYI, checks. the fellas in terror are much smaller than him, but don't worry, he's able to find something. <laughs> he he checks, uh, he tastes the water to see which one's the salted water and which one's not. Um, he knows that the third one is, is olive oil. Like, he was apprenticed to uh, Master Luhan in the Two Rivers... Because the two rivers didn't really need two blacksmiths. 
Otherwise, Perrin probably could have apprenticed with him for two to three. I think I think he had been apprenticing with him for a while. That makes sense. And like he just stayed as the apprentice because there wasn't really a need for two blacksmiths. There was a need for a blacksmith and one apprentice. Here, this guy had three apprentices, and they all walked out on him, and now he's way behind. You know, so yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So Perrin basically creates his master craft as an apprentice, which is a chamfer knife i also don't know what that is but it goes along with the barrel scrape don't yep, worry yeah and he proves himself around the smithy they're, they're tools he's making tools basically the blacksmith dermid ajala which i think is funny because it's like ibarra except yeah. ajala offers him work because perrin is so much better than his own apprentices but perrin declines and asks to just help for the day. And Perrin totally gets lost in the work. So, like, they just work and work. Yeah, yeah. And Perrin, finally Perrin looks up and sees that the that Master Jala is putting on putting up his apron. The smithy yard has gone dark. And he looks over and he notices that uh, Zareen is watching him. And all she says is, <coughs> You really are a blacksmith. Blacksmith? He isn't that, mistress, Jala said. Apprentice, he says, but the work he did today amounts to his master's piece as far as I'm concerned. Fine stroking. Fine stroking. Fine stroking. And Ashley. better than steady. <laughs> uh, but anyways, yeah. So, so Zarin asks him, is this basically why we came to Tyr? So you could be a blacksmith again? Um, and yeah. parents like, no, not yet. But one day I hope. That's so and sweet. And this is a really, I don't know if I'm skipping stuff. No, I'm not. This this is actually a really, really sweet uh, thing. So Perrin went to hang the hammer back on the wall, and Ajala says, Take it. I do not usually give away good hammers, but the work you've done here today is worth more than the price of that hammer by far. And, might, and it might help you to that one day. Man, if, I ever seen, if I've ever seen anyone made to hold a smith's hammer, it is you. So take it. Keep it. And Perrin's just like, he's almost close to tears. He's like, thank you. I cannot say what this means to me. And, and Yeah, it's genuine I, appreciation. Yeah, yeah. And Angelologist says, just remember the one day, man. Just you remember it. And it's really cool. It's like this, yeah. this, this small mentorship, uh, you know, really quick thing, very little conversation, but this guy just touches Perrin in a way that, you know... Um, it's his love language. Yeah, yeah. And it is, it's, I called it, this would be sweet foreshadowing if it's to come true. Now this being what it is, it probably won't. That makes me sad. But Perrin being a blacksmith, he would be so content with metal and anvils. And I sincerely think he would have loved that future. Yeah. However, he's integrated with wolves, which is why I'm saying it's probably not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is... And he's uh, Tavarin, who is... Uh, one thing when we were talking about Tavarin earlier, the fact that there are three Tavarin in close proximity to each other is, like, Odd. quickening the, the pull around them, right? Yeah. So people are getting drawn to them even faster. And if they get separated, because they're Tavarin, they're eventually going to pull back to each other. That's, like, that's... We've gotten that t- context that the... The stronger the Tavern, which is Rand, um, he will definitely shape the wheel around him, the pattern around him, but he will always eventually pull Mad and Perrin back to him too because they oh. are Tavern as well. It's like a satellite. Yeah. 
and and Perrin Perrin knows this. Perrin knows that he's he's him and his and Rand's future are very tied. Closely yeah, together. it's called radical acceptance. You yeah. don't have to like it, but you just have to accept it. It is what it is. So Perrin returns to the inn, and he sits for a moment with his hammer and axe. And this is totally. He notes the metaphorical weight of the axe. Yep. Really Even though the, the hammer is at least five to ten pounds heavier than the axe. Lan fetches him to join the crew and Moraine is waiting impatiently and then announces there's another Forsaken Lucent tear in which High Lord Salmon is Bilal. Whoop, there bum, it is. Bum, bum. This time, no running away. Moraine suspects Bilal wants Rand to get Kalindor and then take it for himself. Yep. Uh, however... Bilal is able to destroy Moraine to bits as soon as he senses her power. So, uh, Loyal is stressed. He's like, I could have remained in the steading. I would probably have been very happy married. Whomever my mother chose. She's a very fine woman, my mother. And she would not give me to a bad wife. And all of a sudden, Moraine's just like, you can go back to the steading, Shantai. Leave now if you wish. I won't stop you. You can leave. And then he does a shitty little shithead. Oh, no, it's not that bad. Yeah, I suppose, if I have a choice, that I will stay with you all. I have taken a great many notes, but not nearly enough to complete my book, and I would not like to leave Perrin and Ran. Moraine, cut him off. Good loyal, I am glad you are staying. I will be glad of any knowledge that you have, but at this time, please shut the fuck up. <laughs> so anyways, and then and then Zerine's like, uh, can I go? I didn't think so. Okay. So, but what I really wanted to talk about is... Um, we're not going to, this time we're not going to run like we did in Ilian, right? Yep. Or is that where you're at? Or? I, I just got through that. Yep. They're not running. He could destroy her if he senses her power. And there, there's a few more things. They got to find Rand. Um, but so the other thing I wanted to highlight is uh, Perrin asked her, did he ward this room? And she's like, no, we're not talking about Murdral at this point. If I use the amount of power that it would take toward this room, Bilal, like one of the Forsaken, will definitely sense me and know that I was here. And I think the only advantage we have right now is that he doesn't know that I'm here. So, uh, or at least I hope he doesn't know that I'm here. So what we have to do is we have to plan. And I have learned things in the past year. Such as bale fire. That have made me a lot more dangerous than I was when you first met me in the Two Rivers. And I can destroy him. If he doesn't know. As long coming. as he doesn't see me first. So, Loyal, Mar- what do you know of Bilal? Yeah, I like it. Then Moraine's just like, Loyal, talk to me about Bilal. <laughs> and and, and Zerine's like, what him? Oh my gosh, that I would almost backhand her for that. But Moraine does it verbally and she's like, Ogier, have long memory, shut the fuck up. Yep. So this is cute. And Loyal is forced to keep his history context short. But he's like, I don't know that much. I'm just saying what I know. And what Moraine gleans from his talk. And you can add to what I missed. Bilal was known as Netweaver. And he envied the dragons the same as he envied Lanfear and Ishimal. Yep. So those are the big things I highlighted. I'm not sure if you want to highlight any more yeah, about Loyal. No, other, other than like somebody wrote that 
Bilal once beat Luce Theron in a Game of Stones and always bragged about it for the rest of his life. I don't like, blame him. Guess what? I beat Luce Theron once. Oh, guess what? I beat Luce Theron once. I, I, I think Bilal same. is just like the, I don't know. He's just jealous. It's yeah. okay. That was a really proud moment for him because he beat Luce in nothing else than that Game of Stones. <laughs> and Netweaver, that's interesting with this whole setting a trap thing, yeah, right? Yep, yep. Okay. Yep. So Lan insists. Um, uh, a couple of things. I think he was a master of the sword. Okay. And we learn more about what swords were and how they were perceived back in the Age of Legends, but uh, that you don't know yet. So I, I'll, I won't go there. I mean, you're gonna learn eventually. But it is important to understand that he was a sword master back in the Age of Legends. Okay. As was Luz Theron. Lannis insisting only he and Moraine will enter the stone and he does not stand down when she seems to dislike that he's going to join. This yep. time she's like, okay, fine. And then also conveniently goes, oh, I was so interrupted with this news. I forgot my previous news. I saw at least three Aiel on rooftops because chimneys are excellent hiding places and where there's three, there's plenty more. Yeah. It's he, what Sanders saw. Yeah, Sanders yeah. saw people creeping on rooftops. He's it's Aiel. Like, if I saw three, you can guarantee that there's at least ten times that amount. At Love least. It. So we're thinking there's thirty Aiel in this in, in tier. Okay. Now Perrin just comments. Oh, yeah. Wasn't the prophecy from that eel something about leaving the threefold land once the stone has fallen? This is great because Moraine is like, oh, I hadn't heard that prophecy. Well, remember, Moraine wasn't with them when they met Yurian. And she's more excited. We got to remain in Terran. Do it must be done. Yeah. Um, whether or not the Aiel are part of the wheels weaving or by Lal's doing. So she's not for sure for certain, but she's super excited by what Perrin shared. Like... This could be a prophecy I haven't heard of. Yeah. Cool. She's yeah. just cool with it. Yep. End scene with Zareen asking Perrin about his plans, in which he says, well, I'm going to go eat something, and then I'm going to think about a hammer. But inwardly, he's thinking about sorting out his emotions toward the falcon. Yeah. Ooh. It's exciting. Where, where do you think Perrin is right now with... I think he's starting to have a crush on... Zareen. I don't know why, though. She didn't really do anything special. But just that he's sorting out his emotions tells me he doesn't just hate her. Because mostly on the surface, he's done the whole, I'm calling her Zareen, not Fail. She can't be the Falcon. But she's growing on him, obviously. Yeah, very much so. That's what I would say. She's growing on him. Um, I love... Th- this was another great scene. I love that Perrin had information for Maureen. And she didn't do the whole, you should have effing told me earlier. This time she was just excited about yeah. the prophecy from the Aiel. And and you're yeah. right. He wasn't... Like, they weren't together when that all happened. Yeah. So, why would he have brought it up? So, good job, Perrin, for bringing it up. Yep. And yep. helping her feel a little more confident. Even though part of her is like, well, it might just be Bilal bringing in Aiel. And we've talked about this quite a bit uh, in the in recent episodes. I think almost every single episode for the past like four weeks. Uh, we've talked about how Moraine is starting to feel like she's losing control of events. Uh, things are getting ahead of her. She, things are happening that she wasn't able to foresee or plan for. It's stressing her the fuck out. We're seeing, like, cracks in her demeanor. 
Like, you know, right? And, and her very stoic and controlled demeanor that I'm sure she's very proud of. We're starting to see her get visibly frustrated, which you didn't really see right. in the earlier books. So, so yeah, she's getting this fuck... She's getting stressed the fuck out. And, um, and, and the fact that she showed appreciation to Perrin for bringing up the I.O. prophecy and that he was pretty sure it was about Rand, you know, that's cool. So, I love it. Okay. Chapter 51. Let's do it. Let's get right into your cat notes. Bait for the net. Bait for the net. All right. I hate this chapter. Back to the women's story. Nynaeve is in town. She thinks she sees a tall man with reddish hair and swears he had a flute case, but loses the same person in the flow of people, and she writes it off as, as ah, foolishly Rand would be here in Terra, not Almuth Plain. Yeah, exactly. But he's, I he's, have he's been over. dreaming of him. Yeah. Oh, Taviran dreams. Nynaeve goes on her business, arguing with the butcher about the cost of fatty mutton. And notices he's really not engaging in the fight. He's just like, whatever. Everyone's really flat affect in this town. So so one thing I've noticed about Nynaeve is she's... She takes the frustration that she's feeling on other people. Or it, 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 like that she's feeling like for her life, for herself, for what's Is going on in her. And she and she throws it onto other people. So she's just she's frustrated right now because they can't find uh, the 13 Black Aja. Julian's, you know, dragging his feet on it. She's frustrated with that. She's frustrated with the weather. She's frustrated with how downtrodden all the Terrans look and act. So she's just like taking her anger out on every single person. And as somebody who works in customer service, I'm telling you, listeners, don't be that person. Don't be the person that takes their bad day out on the people who are trying to sell them uh, lettuce at the store or serve them their beer at the bar. Don't be that person who takes it out on them because there are a lot of people who do, and it's really hard as a server to deal with. I very much validate that, especially servers, but I will also say if you're having a bad day at work and you're at the grocery store, don't take it out on the customer at the counter. Oh, my gosh. My least favorite job ever was working as a bakery manager in a grocery store. The job was fun. The pay was good. The customers treat grocery store workers less than dirt as as i don't know what it is but people are just so rude to grocery store workers yeah don't be rude to grocery store workers we're all doing the best we can some have not had the opportunities that others had and they find themselves the best paying job that they can have is working in a bakery in a in a grocery store don't take your bad day off on them. I had once had a lady tell me because we didn't have the flavor of muffin she wanted. I hate it when the grocery stores don't have what I have. It just ruins my whole day. And I just looked at her and I was like, that's really horrible to hear. I'm sure you have a lot of really bad days then. So one of my miserable memories working at the grocery store, which by the way, grocery store is great work for just an ongoing job. Um, we were in the smaller, there were two grocery stores in my hometown, and we were in the smaller one, and a man, elderly man, and not to be ageist, but he belittled me as a cashier, just belittled me, and I remember one of my coworkers, after the man left, the coworker just said something, like, 
to try to be in solidarity with me. And all I could think is, why didn't you stand up for me when that guy was belittling me? Like, I've never forgotten that because, and you know, I was the innocent, like, maybe 19-year-old at the time just letting the guy absolutely yeah. tear me to pieces. And no one else was around but my coworker. But I do remember after being like, well, why didn't you stand up for me then? Yeah. Like, you, you said it after he left in passing to me. Well, she probably, and I've never forgotten being like, well, then stand up for me. But she probably didn't feel confident in doing so. You know she, what I mean? Like He didn't feel confident in doing so. Oh, it was a, okay. So anyway, yeah, be nice to each other, but it goes both ways. Anywho. Well, no, definitely, definitely. But yeah, don't... Don't take your bad day out on other people. That's all I'm saying. It's 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 a fundamental rule in kindness. You know, everybody has their days. Just because you're having a particularly bad day doesn't so, give you the right to be a Can I share one fond grocery store memory? This was cashiering. I I held a lot. Of, I was in the bakery, deli, uh, cashiering, small store, big store, combined store. Um, at the combined store, it was relatively new. Um, we, I just crabby Amanda, 7 a.m., just quiet. And I'm a quiet person, but I, you know, I did my little good morning. And the woman was buying Hershey's chocolates, middle-aged white woman. She just stares at me and she buys her chocolates. She goes, I need one and so do you. And she just gave me chocolate. And it was really sweet. She wasn't being mean or passive yeah. aggressive to me. It was just acknowledging, yeah. it's a morning. I got to run to work. You're already at work. Here's some chocolate. And I loved it. That wasn't, other people bought me chocolate too. So I don't know what it is, but, and I love chocolate. And that, and that's the thing. Like, I'm not, I was generalizing. Not everybody treats grocery store employees like they're the bottom of your A lot of people do. Shoe. I struggle. But I, I've been working in customer service my entire life, most of it has been bakery work, smaller bakeries, locally owned bakeries, um, and 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 you get people who treat customer service people in all customer service areas like shit. You do, you you you're always gonna get that. It was pronounced oh, in I a see. grocery store. Yeah, so you you felt there it there were. We worked right next to the deli, and one day a woman picked up a half a pound of uh, crab salad or whatever it was, potato salad, and threw it at the deli worker because they didn't have the particular salad that they wanted. It's like, and and that's how, and and that that was not common, like that type of like physical action. But it was an everyday yeah. thing where people treated you like shit because they felt like you were. Less than them because you yeah. worked at a grocery store. Yep. Oh, so, I identified wearing a hairnet because I worked in the deli yeah. for a while. And I already had a college education. I just chose to live at home so I could go travel here and there. Um, and traveling here and there, your temporary job is a grocery store because all you do is, as my mother would say, bat your eyes at the boss and you get a job, which is exactly, he knew who I was. So I'd yeah. always get a job. And I was a hard worker, but to be in a hairnet, the way people treated me, and I held my tongue, but I remember wanting to tell people, like, I have more education than you. Yeah. And you were treating me like shit. Yeah. And yeah. that, that yeah. isn't fair either way. It doesn't matter whether I have a better education than you or not, but because I'm wearing a hairnet, you're perceiving and, me as less than. And, and we're we're getting way off topic, and we should probably get back. It. I did. We should probably get back into the, story, in, into the story, into the Dragon Reborn. But I will just say... <laughs> if you're if you're one of the few people that listen to us, which we appreciate everybody who listens to us, um, just be kind to everybody. If you're having a bad day, someone else is too. The best thing you could do to make that bad day turn good is to make somebody else's day better. 
So that's just my my word of wisdom for the day. Buy them chocolate. The uh, Glee Man Twitch's little golden nugget for the day. If you're having a bad day, buy them chocolate. Be be kind to someone else, and that will make you feel better about the day that you're having. It's this, and it's gonna work. So ironically, the story continues at the fruit cellar. So basically, a grocery store. Because Zainib does observe, there's only one person in this entire crowd of people who also has energy, and she's arguing about rotten fruit to the shopkeeper, and he just looks weary. (laughs) He's just weary. He's not fighting back. Nynaeve nearly trips in her stylish clogs that she's wearing for the never-ending mud. Context dump. Nynaeve is reviewing recent events, including that there's been stopped trade. So, they have been unable to sell the grain, which got eaten by rats. And how she knows two river folks just pick themselves up by the bootstraps. Yep. Terrible analogy. But- and they just deal with it. And these people have given up. Like, what the fuck? She really doesn't understand. Well, she thinks about, like, the times that the, all the crops in the two rivers have been, uh, like, Failed. eaten by, by yeah. crows or had some sort of disease that killed them all. And the people in the two rivers, I mean, they don't have a surrounding network of, you know... Resources. Pe- resources, people who can bring them in food if they're not being able to produce it. Like, they've got to deal with it. Yeah, so deal. they deal with it because that's the only way they're going to survive. Nynaeve also mentally reviews how Egwene has been more testy lately. And this has been hard for Nynaeve to let go of because she helped change Egwene's diapers and when she was a baby. So here we get a little bit of an age thing. She's seven years older. She thinks to herself... I'm only seven years older, but I still changed her her Babies. swaddling clothes. And uh, <laughs> um, so that puts, I think, Nynaeve's about 25. See, I would say 24, but yeah. I think she's 25 there. when the story starts. So that okay. would have put okay. Egwene at 18 when the story starts. The boys mm-hmm. we do know is 19. are 20. Oh, okay. okay. So, so there we go. Also important to note, Nynaeve is so frustrated she could just spit. And I said, LOL. That's from the Haley Mills version of The Parent Trap. Yeah. <laughs> yep. I love yep. that line. Yep. Could just spit. Nynaeve does her typical banter, but to herself, hating on Moraine for coming to Emmons Field. And she could have saved Egwene from destruction herself as wisdom. And then she pretty much runs into Julian Sanders. Um, he is saved from falling only by his bamboo staff because he tripped on his own clogs. He seems nervous and hints she must come with him ASAP. And she asks, why are you so frightened? Are you angry? Why, why are you frowning at me that way? He asked. And she's like, I was not frowning at you. Why, why were you looking for me? Have you found them? So yeah, so, so yeah, he's like, yes, yes. And, and you need to come back with me. The others are waiting. The others and Mother Gwenna. And, and, he's, and she says, why are you so nervous? You didn't let them discover your interests. What, what has frightened you? And he's like, no, no, no. I, I didn't reveal, reveal myself. These women you seek, they are in the stone. Guests of the High Lord Salmon. Why did you call them thieves? They're the High Lord Salmon. They're his guests. What? Yeah? And- well, fuck you, Julin. So, <laughs> Nynaeve rushes back to Mother Gwena's, making the biggest mistake of her life when, for the first time ever, she does not stop to pet her horse Gaiden's nose on the way back in. And tell him that he's a good boy. Because, upon entering, 
She sees Mother Gwenna sitting stiffly but with anger and fear in her eyes and too late senses the bonds of air tying the woman up completely. Nynaeve attempts to open up to the true power only to be walled off. Yep. Ass hat Leandrin comes out with a black-haired woman with a white streak in her hair. Um, This is beautiful. Nynaeve still backhands Rihanna, woman with black hair. Um, while still in control of her body, but promptly feels like someone is absolutely punching her, pummeling her. Yeah. Which is probably freaking Leandrin doing her evil magic. Fuck you, Leandrin. So it goes on. Leandrin tells her, you need to learn how to submit. Leandrin releases Mother Gwenna, who is totally helpless. And Rihanna's like, yeah, let's murder Mother Gwenna. And Leandrin's like, ah, whoa, 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 girlfriend, you kill too quickly. And I wasn't sure you wanted to read any of this. Well, yeah. She, I mean, she, she's like, always, you kill too quickly. And only the great lord can make use of the dead. You saw the soldiers. And, and then she, yeah, she smiles to Mother Gwen and she says, You saw the soldiers who came with us, old woman. You know who waits for us in the stone, the high lord Salmon. He will not be pleased if you speak of what happened inside your house today. If you hold your tongue, you will live, perhaps to serve him again one day. If you speak, you will serve only the great lord of the dark from beyond the grave. Which do you choose? And Mother Gwena slumps down and says, I, I'll, I'll hold my tongue. And she looks at Nynaeve and gives an embarrassed look. She's shamed look. And she says, if I speak, what good will it do? A high lord could have any a high lord could have my head by raising an eyebrow. What good can I do, you girl? What good? And I have to say, I've listened to this chapter three times now, and Kate reading reading this, uh, reading in Mother Gwen's voice, it just brings me to tears. It's like, oh, oh she has but so much. She has so much emotion in it. For how much we just ripped apart Nynaeve for yelling at grocery store workers, she totally gets it. She's like, I know you could. Yikes! I, I know you would help. She knows if you it's could. true. Like, I, I, I get it. It's, it's, it's. She's resigned. She's caught. She. So, anyways. So, anyways, let's keep going because it, yeah, it, it gets it fun. Just keeps it gets, yeah. Rihanna tells Nynaeve to not give them any trouble, or she'll be forced to peel her own skin off and dance in her bones. Worst thread I've ever heard yeah, right there. Yep, that's disgusting. Yep, that's, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. Nynaeve sees more people out and about. There's Amiko Nagoyan, Joya Bayer, all black Aja. Yep. Oh, there's a lane in between them and a queen on the ground, severely bruised and unconscious. Obviously, she put up a fight. Yep. They all begin walking through the streets. Cue fucking Sanders to arrive on scene looking like a lapdog. And the fucker sold the women out. Okay, so he kind of sort of around Ladren, Leandrin looks like he was under a love spell. Similar to what Morghese is probably under. And I still blame him. Okay. I don't like Remember what Leandrin did in Fall Dara with uh, Lady Amelisa. She was so mean. It, it, but she uses this type of like almost like a like a compelling spell like almost a compulsion spell and manipulation but yes yeah so we can assume that she's done the same thing to sander yeah sure yes he's obviously under a spell but he was supposed to be careful and he said he'd treat them like black Aja. he clearly didn't he wasn't being okay okay uh the girls are put into a coach okay i i needed to stop you there for a second Leandrin knew that they were in tear. 
The girls knew that Leandrin knew that they were in tear because she saw her look at her in the dream. Like, right? Egwene saw Leandrin smile at her in the dream. She woke up. She was like, I'm pretty sure they know we're in tear. And they still went forward with this plan. Um, so the Black Aja were probably like being very, you know, watchful for anybody that was asking for any of their descriptions. So Sander was probably being really careful. He's, according to uh, Elwyn, Gwenna, he's like the best thief catcher there is. Not compared to Huron, and that's my issue. (sighs) Okay, okay. Well, Huron also has a special ability, and as far as we know, Tulin doesn't. Oh, I thought that's what thief catchers are. That they can smell. Not all of them are sniffers. No, uh, no, 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 no. Hiran, Hiran was an, 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 well, I mean, I think in, in, in the Borderlanders, sniffers are a little bit more common, but yeah, no, that, I do not believe that Julian Sandar is know, a sniffer. He's no just a really good Hiran detective. No matter what, offered to help them and they didn't send for him. There you have it. Map time! Not yet. The girls are put into a coach with the sigil of a silver gauntleted fist, clutching jagged lightning bolts, which is probably Lord Salmon's sigil. That's pretty incredible. Uh, I I just like the picture of it. I'm like, that's a total forsaken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me hold my lightning bolts. Right. Leandrin confirms their assignment is to bring the women alive as bait. Although she's unclear to whom or to what surface uh, as bait. But I would guess they're bait for Rand. Yeah. And even Elaine have a fake argument that others know their whereabouts and will come for them. IDK if that works or not. But they do it smoothly. However, Leandrin gets less word saying she will tell, they will tell her everything. Um, and great master Bilal right now is sending for 13 yeah, murder all. And we know what that means. Being forced to the shadow. 13 uh, murder all and 13 black Aja. That and Nynaeve not... pieces that together exactly. 13 black Aja already in town. 13 murder all. And then Nynaeve hears Elaine screaming. And then she joins in screaming in pain as well. Uncertain if their screams are louder than Leandrin and Rihanna's laughter. And so, <laughs> there's the trap, guys. It, it's there. It yeah. was caught. They're caught. Well, and they and 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 Nynaeve tried to like misdirect, and we've got to give our hats off. We don't get a lot of Elaine in any of these these chapters. No, she did good though. But you've got to give your hats off to or your hat off to Elaine in this. She picked up on what Nynaeve was doing, and she tried to help her out. With it, so and I, I mean, did flip back when I was flipping back to the beginning. I did actually notice that the chapter picture was different, which I typically don't observe them. Oh detail. yeah, no, I, I actually don't know if we've had it or not. But I look closer; it's two faces looking at each other, but one's black, one's white. So I'm like, oh, opposite sides of power, maybe the dark versus yeah, light, evil versus good, which is literally what just happened. Yeah, just yep. met. I, you know, because you've always been so animate that you don't look at the pictures, I, I don't, don't pay attention to them anymore. Um, so I don't know if we've gotten that uh, picture before. I think it might be a new one. But cool. Cool. I love it. I love it. Really, really quick. I just want to show you something. A map. The girls are here. Tear. Hiran is here. Oh, Hiran. 
And we know that it took several days on a boat to get from here, where the girls were, by, Ar- by well, by Erangel, and yeah, Kyrian, but by Erangel, to get to Tyr. So, and that's less than half of the distance. So do you really think that it would have helped if they sent for Hiran? IDK, I mean, if he would have, if they could have hidden without trace because they weren't using their powers. I just, I, well, I mean, first of all, how long is it going to get take to get a pigeon up to Faldara? Oh, yeah, that's true. They don't have instant messaging. They don't even no, have dial-up. They don't even have dial-up. This is true. That's a good point. <laughs> that would add so, another, at least another couple days. Yeah, so, so, like, and getting back to the point that Nynaeve have made way back at the beginning of this book, men always offer to be there as soon as you need them, but when you need them, they're not around. So, but like, you don't even try to get them. That always bothers me, and I'm not going to go into it, but there's a Harry Potter plot that got lost that pisses me off. Okay, we can talk about that off. Chapter 52, Mike. In Search of a Remedy. Back to Mant. He's forcing Tom to see the local wise woman, which Innkeeper Lopar told him about, because Tom's cough, remember from the first chapter, has worsened as they have continued in their search for the women. And Matt doesn't want him to die because who would he play stones with? (laughs) Love it, Matt. So Matt's character is someone who does not want to care. Like he doesn't, he he doesn't want to care about people. He doesn't want to have friends that he he needs to watch their back. But the fact of the matter is, that's exactly who he is. He cares. And so when he's concerned about Tom, he masks it to himself. I'm only concerned because who's going to keep me company if Tom dies. The fact of the matter is that he cares very deeply for Tom, and he doesn't want Tom to die, not because of his company, but because he likes him. Yes. So they go out and about. Matt finds the wise woman's house and thinks it looks familiar. Probably one of the houses they pass on their way in from the docks. No, he actually, he knows that he noticed it. It'll, yes. Okay. He observes tracks of a carriage in the mud, which is surprising. Not many carriages out and about, and he sees the horse prints, but dismisses it because he's over. He dismisses overthinking it because he supports Tom all the way to the front door. A woman answers, affirming she's Mother Gwenna, and agrees to treat Tom's cough, welcoming them in. Wow. First read through, that's super exciting. He found Mother Gwenna. A little late, huh? So Matt observes fine horses in the back through the window. And again, he doesn't overthink it. He's observing Mother Gwenna manhandle Tom to get an entire cup of black liquid down his throat. And he compares her to a blacksmith. That's worth noting. Because she just has him in the crook of her arm. I I do want to point out that, uh, first of all, when they knock, it takes a while. And he has to knock a couple times. And then she finally comes out and she's like, what do you want? And she's got the same you know, downtrodden, beaten look that everybody else in Tear has. But we know... We know why. Not that long ago, she didn't have that. She was... Because she's a... You know, she she has a strong will and she wasn't letting the, the, the mood of the city get her down. And I could be wrong, but I think it's only been... He thought the tracks were hours past. Yeah, it, it wasn't much. They're, they're fresh. They're fresh. 
Um, but yeah, so anyways, he he tells her that Lopar sent me. Um, my name is Matt Cawthon. I've got a friend here who's got a super bad cough. Can you please heal him? I, I can pay well. And she paused for a second studying them and then finally said, I suppose I can still do that at least. You might as well come in. So anyways. So yeah, she manhandles Tom and then she tells Tom, you got to take this twice a day, including a salve for your chest, which you will put on every night, declaring she's never treated a glee man before and has no intention of letting her first one die after seeking her care. It's great. And and then Matt, Matt, okay, you keep going, sorry. Yeah, Matt is sensing a fight, so he's like, change the topic. So he comments, hey, I know a woman with a similar accent to you, and he's thinking of the Amarillin seat. He doesn't say it. And she replies, oh, that's funny. I just met two women with your accent. Boom. Matt's excited. He names and describes all three women. And Mother Gwenna slowly affirms. It's like those are the names. She was given different names, but she suspected they weren't real. Matt asks, hey, where are they? And the poor wise woman is just like, sorry. And she's literally at a loss for words. You're three hours late, buddy. She attempts to tell Matt... It's no use, but he keeps asking, and she tells that her life and soul are on the line, but she does reveal they're headed to the stone, and she insists it was women with Aes Sedai powers who took the girls, and at first, Matt is totally comforted. He's like, oh, man, you gave me a heart attack, but yeah, yeah, these three women, they're studying to be Aes Sedai NBD. But Mother Gwenna clarifies, no, not a good thing. The girls fought like lionfish caught in a net. By the way, didn't the Amarlin seat use that analogy, lionfish caught in the net? Yep, yep. That's, that's, huh. that's been one of, uh, that we've heard a few times. This isn't the first time we've heard it. And this confounds Matt because he's confused. Wait, I said I grabbed them, but it's not a good thing. But then it also pisses him off as he thinks of his random luck and that he had literally seen this house first when he arrived and it was a bright lightning strike that lit the area and he had looked directly at a house with bunches of uh, herbs. And that was, that was the night that he figured out that Ooh. his luck was random and what could be more random than just a... Uh, house that you see in a flash of lightning. Oh. Matt pays Mother Gwenna his last two endorsed gold coins and gives her a kiss. There's some sweet banter that he reminds her of her late husband, including that it will take time for one of those women to teach him not to track mud into the house. That's kind of <laughs> cute. She thinks yeah. he's after a sweetheart. Yep. Matt flirts back and says, "Oh, you're the only woman who could do that." Yep. That's so cute. Matt asks Mother Gwenna, "Hey." How about letting my buddy Tom remain here? And much to Tom's Miss May, she agrees. And Matt says, I have enjoyed knowing you, Tom. Then takes off, recognizing that his words were less for Tom's well-being so much as his own his well-being. His own well-being. And he feels dice tumbling in his head. Whoa! Is- so number one, no, I have to say this. I not only missed this on the first read-through, I also missed it on the second read-through about the lightning strike. And he did. If you read it closely, and I ignored it in my notes because I didn't catch it, he saw a house with bunches of plants in the window. I told you. You didn't tell me anything. (laughs) I remembered. And so anyway, I think that's great. And I do want to interfere. I was only thinking of derelict shops and what lightning looks like when it lightens up the place because I've experienced that where the lightning was so bright you saw colors. And and even right now, I'm like, that's what I keep picturing when they describe the lightning strike. All I could think is colors yep. at night is fascinating yep. so anyway 
You got me good, RJ. You got me good. Yeah, yeah. No, two he, times in a row. He does such a good job at at just throwing these these random little hints in, but they uh, often come back to bite you right in the reading ass, right? Yeah, and okay. So, like you said, Mother Gwena is now defeated, but we know why. Yeah, no, no. She she is a strong-willed woman. Like 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 she reminds me. Of a lot of women that I've known in my life that I have a lot of respect for. Um, she's strong. She doesn't put up with a lot of shit. She, when we met her, she did not uh, have the same, like, beaten down no, aura that, the, uh, that, that everybody else in Tyr has. Because she just doesn't let shit get to her. And then she went through an extremely traumatic experience watching these three young ladies who she had genuinely grown to care about. Like, they were in her house for several days, like three or four days. Um, and she she found good conversation with Nynaeve about, like, their craft, right? And so, so yeah, she she feels defeated. You know, if there's anything else we want to cover in this chapter... No, I mean, it's a good example of Matt's random luck again. And even, I and I do want to tie it back to, so the first read-through, what I was more, like, focused on was, well, how convenient Tom got a cold. So that's where I thought all the luck was. Yeah. Tom got a cold. And because of his cold, they had to well, talk and, to the wise and, woman. And it's okay, so this, so maybe parts of Aaron, maybe part Matt's luck, they showed him. The very first night where the girls were. I he know. didn't see it. So then they, the pattern had to figure out how to get him back there. So, yeah, maybe that's why Tom got sick. Was so that, and there was even a moment where um, they were walking and, and Matt almost turned around to see if there was a closer wise woman because Tom's cough was getting so bad. And he, he was, was sick like, of no, the mud. I, I, well, <laughs> he was sick of the mud. But, but he was like, no, I just got to get him there. Um, yeah, conveniently, this is the one Lopar told him about. Like, yeah. like that's super convenient your innkeeper knew it, about Mother it's, Gwena. It's Tavarin pulling the strings. It's also Matt's luck. Because like I said, Matt's luck and the Tavarin strings showed him where the girls were the night that they arrived in Tyr. In fact, I'm pretty sure, is it Nynaeve's perspective? or Well, the moment that Nynaeve says there's a storm bubbling and Egwene is it's in... Egwene's POV, the the first chapter that we covered, chapter forty nine, Elaine slaps Egwene, and then oh, forty eight, yeah, in chapter forty eight, no forty nine, Elaine. A- anyways, it doesn't matter. It was forty nine. We're doing forty nine to fifty today. Yeah, <laughs> but it doesn't. But um, yeah, as as soon as uh, like it's, it it ends that section, yeah. the storm starts, like the storm breaks outside. And then Matt and Tom. So they basically like... They are the storm. He came in that night. That's funny. The same night that they... Like the first night that they stayed with Mother Gwen is what Mm -hmm. I was trying to get to. Which I would say when the storm broke out, that's probably the lightning flash that Matt said. I would fully support that. Yeah. That was the moment Matt looked over during a lightning flash and Nynaeve just said a storm... What the boom happens? Yeah, after, it was after Egwene woke up. So it, wrong, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So, so it was when very. When the storm broke, yes. it was Matt staring at their hotel. So it was very much, um, 
like it coincided with each other. One hundred percent. The the pattern was telling Matt this is where you want to go. That's fantastic. Matt didn't see it. He 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 didn't get it yet. He nope. he had, he hadn't caught up. And why would he? I mean, he, rational rational thought. No one would stay in a random shop. Right. To him, it was all shops. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Well, and, and to him, like in his mind, there's no way these three uppity women are going to be okay staying in a, in in a muddy, yeah. smelly district of town. They're going to go inland. They're going to stay in a nice inn. You know what I mean? Like, that's what they're, they're going to do. Nynaeve, being the smart woman that she is, was like, we're not going to do that because that's what they expect, so we're going to stay at this tiny little, like, shop. Um, and so, so yeah, it, so... The, both of their reasonings make sense. Hmm. Nynaeve's was much more clever. But anyways, I love it. That's why, yeah, sure. Maybe that's why Tom got sick, so that, uh, yes. so that the pattern could get Matt to where he needed to be. One hundred percent. Albeit a little late. It was Plan B yes. for the pattern. Yes. But it was that's where first read through. I just thought it was genius. Now second read through, I'm like, oh, I totally missed it. I totally missed the plants. So so you are now having your first go at being a mother, and sure. there are definitely times when. You're trying to point something out to your kids, and granted, your first child happens to be 11 years old, but um, you're trying to point something out to them, and they're not getting it. Have you ever experienced that with Bryce? Yeah. Yeah, and you're just like, come on, and you're just throwing hint after hint, and finally they get it. That's kind of how the, the, the pattern is dealing That's with beautiful. Matt right now. The pattern's like, come on, you stupid little shit. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. They're here. Kind of like that scene in Aladdin. <laughs> right? Anyways. Um, that brings us to our final segment, Fuck, which Mary, we kill. like to call F- Fuck, Mary Kill, FMK. Okay. Okay. Do you got yours? Uh, I have my Mary. Do you have yours? Yeah. I, I could... I think I might give a tie to my... Do I want to give a tie? Okay. So, yeah. You go. I've got mine. I'm... Hey, fucking. I always fuck Matt. Um, there's... Yeah, I'm, I'm fucking Matt. He's, he's, he's sexy as hell. Like, he's, he's got his shit together. He deals with Komar. He's... I'm loving Matt right now. I'm, I'm totally fucking Matt. I am marrying... Mother Gwenna. She is a good mm-hmm. woman who got out of her, you know, out of her realm and, um, and she, and she did not, nothing wrong. She's a good woman and she needs, I, I think she'd be an amazing wife. I, yeah. Beautiful. I like, I like Eowyn Gwenna. Um, my kill is a little, I mean, it's way too easy to say I'm going to kill... Uh, Leandrin or Rihanna, right? So I'm trying to think of who else I'm going to kill. You do you. There weren't really a lot of horrible people in this chapter. Or in this, in this section. Fuck. I'll, 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 I'll go ahead and kill uh, Rihanna. Rhiannon. She wanted to kill Mother Gwenna as yeah. her wife, so yeah. I mean it makes sense. She always tries to, she she always goes too quick to killing people, so yeah, she's a she is a shit. Let's kill her. Okay. Well then I'm gonna well, mine are interchangeable with yours in a way, and I'll explain soon. 
Mother Gwenna and Matt are great. So yeah. I'm going to say I'll fuck Mother Gwenna. Okay. It was a hard toss-up. Matt Matt would have been my worthy fuck. Yeah. But and that's I should have let you fuck Matt. No, no. Because uh, Mother Gwenna was... I, I appreciate, and I am combining from our last episode, but I just appreciate her countenance and, and standing up for these girls and doing her best... And she only admitted defeat because she had, she literally had to, but she, she didn't. Had no choice, yeah. As soon as Matt was like, who are these girls? She waited two minutes before saying where they're going. Yep. She's ready to be like the dead, dark one's bait. Yep. So she did it. Mary was actually, my tie was Mary, was Tom and Matt. That's a tough one. So I'll go Tom. Okay. Because you already mentioned Matt. Yeah, and, and, Tom, and Tom's stud. Tom's a stud too, figuring so, out how, how Komar's cheating everybody. Yeah. Yep. And he just did it. Like, I wouldn't have thought he was cheating, but I'm maybe more innocent to games. And then um, and then it's poor Tom's cough that does ultimately lead Matt to Mother Gwen. Yeah. So Tom has to suffer with a woman manhandling him into taking, like, this black... Tea. Oh, it's cute. So don't I'll let it. Tom take the Mary, kill Sander. Obviously, I don't like him. I knew you'd choose Sander. I just, I he's not hearing. That's all. So I'm doing my own. I episode. I want to point out that he was his free will had been taken away from him. This is true. His ability to make choices had been taken away from him. I'm still right? killing him. And and Leandrin straight up said it. He had to be convinced. So she did the same thing that she did to uh, Lady Amelisa in Faldara. Oh, to Julian Grant. To, yeah. She, she compulsed him. That's and true. And it's shitty as hell. I do believe that. Um, so I get it. I get the, I get the anger towards Julian. But I would, I, I would implore you to maybe not look too harshly upon Sandar in the future. I will we do allow know. him to earn my trust back. Okay. But he has to earn it. Because we do know that we meet him again because you've read up through, may or may all the way through that. book four. I will neither confirm or deny. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. Um, well, awesome. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We've got a bunch of social media that's all talked about at the end. Uh, give us a like on Apple Podcasts. That would be cool. And... Until then, be excellent to each other. Party on, dudes! Thank you for listening to this episode of The Glee Man's Apprentice. The Glee Man's Apprentice is available on Spotify, Pocket Cast, Google Podcast, Breaker, and Radio Public. Our theme song is written by Twitch Avery and performed by Andrew Bard of Time.